Hello and welcome into another episode of Dramaturgically. I'm your host, Stephen Clark, and today I'm really excited because we're going to be talking about a film that was released in 1983, and in my opinion, it's a bit of a quiet storm. It's a film that has a bit of a cult following, but maybe isn't talked about in the vein that I believe that it should be. I think that it's a film that many people should seek out because it's a it's a film about human connection and connection with nature and and I think I think it's a I think it's like a cry out for optimism um, with the world and I think it's just a, a film that a film that can have a profound effect on an audience member um, that maybe maybe needs to see the world in a better a bit of a better light. And I think it's a film that we don't get to see these days a lot. I just don't think that there's these types of filmmakers and these types of studio executives that want to make films um, with messages like these. So without any further ado, let me introduce you to Local Hero, directed and written by Bill Forsyth. Local Hero follows the story of McIntyre, an American acquisitions executive working at a Houston-based oil conglomerate. He is dispatched to the Scottish town of Furness with the explicit mission to buy out the entirety of the village, securing a large depository of oil underneath the land. Now, he sort of expects, and this will be a, a spoiler-free podcast just for anyone wondering, so I'll keep things as as spoiler-free as possible with a with a leaning to uh, to recommend this film to anyone who hasn't had the opportunity to see it, because I think that it is a film um, that can have quite a severe impact on you if you go in um, without knowing too much. What's really uh, exciting and interesting about this film is that it does subvert a lot of the traditional themes and expectations that you might have for a story like this. I think that... Um, I think that it is sort of a familiar premise in a lot of ways, um, and maybe some people might think that what would follow is quite predictable, but what I would assure you is actually this film is really ahead of its time in, in the way that it approaches um, environmentalism, in the way that it approaches, uh, I guess, multiculturalism and the idea of man and the city and man and nature, and all these sort of ideas, I guess... Uh, don't come to a head in the way that you would expect. And th- this is something that's quite familiar in Bill Forsyth's films. So if you're not familiar with Bill Forsyth, he's probably one of the most um, recognized and celebrated Scottish directors. And one of the main things that he does in a lot of his films is that there is conflict, but the conflict isn't traditionally between the characters like in a lot of other films. Um, a trademark of his films is that there tends to not be really any villains at all, rather using the circumstances that the characters are placed in to act as the antagonistic force. So, for example, not even in this film, the oil executive, um, played by the legendary Burt Lancaster, um, isn't even portrayed as an antagonist in the film to a lot of extent. He's sort of just a, a man doing his job and he has a lot of interest in the town, but in no way is he looking to um, rip the town from underneath the townspeople. 
And in a similar vein, you might expect that the townspeople would be extremely reluctant. They're going to be fighting um, to tooth and nail to hold on to their town. But in actual in actuality, in the first 10 to 15 minutes, this is sort of uh, eradicated. And um, we see secretly behind the scenes that, that a lot of the townspeople can't control their glee and uh, excitement for <laughs> becoming millionaires and selling their land off to this oil conglomerate. And essentially what traverses from there is um, our main character, McIntyre, played by Peter Rygott, um, essentially begins to, to recognize and, and love the town in just in such an interesting way because you would feel like, like maybe the townspeople are sort of forcing this onto him and they're trying to convince him you know, to save the town and to, to not buy it out. But in actuality, it's sort of a journey of self-discovery that McIntyre goes on. Um, and he sort of recognizes and contrasts his life in the big city and the things that he holds dear to him with the things that the people hold dear to themselves in this town. Um, for example, there's some great work with with phones. Um, this this town of Furness essentially has one phone box which he uses to interact um, back with Houston, um, with some very excellent scenes and. And, you know, this is 1983, so there's only one phone box in the town. But compared to his usual life in Houston, where he's working in the office, he's surrounded by phones ringing all the time. And this contrast and silence and the fact that nobody really uses the phone except for him is just something that is, is quite subtle, but is, is something that definitely um, takes shape on Mac's character. Another example of this is probably his attire. So we see him rock up in a suit and, you know, he's... He's pretty much explicitly looking really clean and really well kept. And throughout the film, you know, he ditches this suit and he, he wears a knitwear and he, he forgets to shave. And just he sort of, he takes on the physical identity of the townspeople themselves. And he begins to assimilate without even noticing that he's assimilating into the town. And this obviously, without spoiling too much, becomes an issue when the inevitability of his mission comes to a fore. So something that's also really special about this film is just the, the magicalness in which the town of Furness is portrayed. It is there's some there's something there's something that I would say is is almost like a fairy tale about about the town. Not only is it just beautiful and it's simple and it's quaint and the people uh, sort of uh, walk and talk together and it sort of gives this completely different approach to how Max life is in Houston. But also, there's also these actual events occurring in the town that seem to be almost magical, whether it be the Aurora Borealis or uh, constant comet showers. Um, this is something that the characters even comment on, you know, it's uh, it's quite normal for them and this is just their life. But for Mac, these are like some of the, these are moments of wonderment and things that he hasn't experienced perhaps in his life before. And I guess the allure of that is that sometimes we don't recognize the beauty of the world around us. And sometimes it takes, it takes an outsider or it takes seeing something that you've never seen before to really reel you into that. I really like that perspective because I feel like it's a, it's something that uh, we don't take note of a lot in the modern world. Um, a lot of us live in cities where there's so much star pollution that you can't even see the stars at night um, and we can't even look up into the night sky and, and, and see a lot of, of what people that live in towns like Furness are able to see. And on top of this, there's even a more fantastical element. And this is of the character Marina, played by Jenny Seagrove, which is introduced to us as a marine biologist and she's seen pretty much exclusively in the water. And 
she is she's sort of uh, romantically chased by a very young Peter Capaldi, who's who plays um, Max, uh, I, I guess, assistant, who is traveling with him to to have the to help with the town acquisition. And Peter Capaldi's character becomes completely infatuated by this lady Marina, and she and he is, tends to follow her into the water. And there's almost this uh, fantastical element where she she might be a mermaid and <laughs> well this might sound like a bit of like an outlandish sort of thing this is just the the right amount of teetering on fairy tale which this story has it's quite beautiful and if you watch it you'll you'll understand what i mean it doesn't ever explicitly say anything like that but this is just the kind of town where something like that is actually possible and it's contrasted with the gritty real life of Houston and the city and these things tend to blend together wonderfully which you might not expect um but I guess that is that is just the the genius of Bill Forsyth. You know, this film is an absolute testament to optimism and a testament to to I guess um, joy and soothing natures. And it just it's it's an absolute wonderment of a film, and it's it's something that quite like nothing I've ever seen before. And I'm really glad that I that I actually sat down to watch this film. Not only is it sort of um, is I guess it just optimism and happy and joy. You know, there are, there are there are real internal conflicts as well between the characters. You know, like how they're dealing um, with the situation at hand. McIntyre, in particular, um, is constantly thinking about the the reality of returning to life in the city after the acquisition is done. And I think that and I think that this sort of brings out uh, a fear in all of us about you know living. A city life disconnected from the rest of the world, disconnected from nature, disconnected from like maybe our true selves in a lot of ways. Um, there's also a character of, of Stella who is married to um, Dennis Lawson's character, Mr. Urquhart, who sort of is the runs the bar and he runs the hotel and he's sort of a bit of an everyman around the town. But anyway, Stella, his wife, um, becomes almost a romantic interest for Peter Reichardt's character, Matt Mac, and. In no way is this like a pursuit of his. He doesn't try to steal this man's wife, but I think he realizes that ro- even romance here is more beautiful than in the city. We see this contrasted by, at the start of the film, Mac tries to ask out one of his co-workers on a date and she sort of sternly and coldly rejects him. He even asks her out over the phone, which I guess is another comment about uh, modern disconnection from one another. Um, whereas he, we see... In Furness, um, Mr. Urquhart and Stella have this budding, brilliant, romantic relationship where they're constantly in each other's arms and together and happy. And I think that um, this just reinforces um, the difference in lifestyle between the city and perhaps uh, more isolated regions like Furness. Apart from this as well, the film is actually extremely funny. And this is another thing that Bill Forsyth does so, so well, is it's such a well-written script. Like it really is. It there is a lot of gags. It's uh, that classic sort of uh, British Scottish humour um, where people are taking the Mickey out of each other. Um, but the between sort of these a bit of like goofy different gags and ideas, um, it becomes quite endearing. And there's a lot. There's a lot of really smartly written um, analogies about life and about the sale and about oil and about land and about environmentalism and this film definitely has an environmentalistic um, agenda and message but in no way does it ever feel like it's pandering or it's coming across too strong or heavy-handed it's very subtle and um, 
you might you might expect a film like this to be heavy-handed, but it really is quite subtle and in the way that it perpetrates this message, um, particularly the the one townsman who is quite reluctant to sell. Um, his family has lived on the beach for 400 years and he essentially is quite reluctant to sell because out of a fear that the beach will no longer be cared for and it will be forgotten and left behind. And the characters, rather than quite dismissing this, are actually come to acknowledge this. And there's a lot of subtle ways in which this which happens, whether it be Mac's character coming to appreciate the shells at the beach um, and he starts collecting them. And it's sort of just a, a bit of like a subtle little B plot line. But it's something something where you can't help if you live in this town come to appreciate little things like that. Um, yeah, so I guess like the core message of this film um, before I finish up is that I think I think the film asks us a core message which is in question, which is what's more important, money or place? Um, I think that Bill Forsyth's message is that money doesn't really give us identity, but our place does. And I think that it's important to mention as well that this film doesn't even particularly condemn capitalism in the way that you would assume. It simply sort of makes the point that if you fixate on a materialistic life, then you're looking at life too narrowly and you're not seeing the full picture. Um, so with that, I sort of just want to close out and talk a little bit about the, the visual aspects of the film because it is a stunning film to watch. And uh, another film that I got to see um, thanks to the Criterion Collection and their... Uh, their Blu-ray 2K restoration, absolutely gorgeous. Definitely check it out if you can. Um, but the blues in this film are some of the richest blues I've ever seen in my life. They are just absolutely immaculate. And a lot of the film, specifically towards the back end of the film, is shot um, just after sunset. You know, there's a lot of... It's that blue hour where the sky is blue, the ocean is blue. Um, and it's contrasted with this, I guess, one red telephone box, which Mac sort of uses and is sort of just on the edge of town and is sort of the one sort of displaced thing in the village. And I guess that is representative of him as well, which is really interesting. And it's definitely a film that um, I could see being underappreciated for its visual style because it isn't particular, it isn't particularly... Um, uh, trailblazing or groundbreaking with its editing or or its cinematography to some extent, but its use of color and its the simplicity of the wide shots and just the just the the, the simple conversational transition as well is is really beautiful and I think that I think that it's probably a bit underappreciated in that department. So definitely worth watching it out if you like beautiful films because it is a beautiful film. Also interesting enough, uh, the music was made by um, Mark Knopfler um, of Dire Straits fame, and um, it has this sort of eerie, beautiful, fantastic um, nature, which I guess bleeds into what I was talking about before with the fantastical elements of the film. Um, and interestingly enough, he went on to do The Princess Bride, and that has a very similar score. So if you do like the score from The Princess Bride, this is another film that you should check out because it has a very, very similar score made by the same man. So there's a little uh, selling point as well. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll just end and say that if you're feeling down about the world or, or, or sad or pessimistic about life, honestly, this is, this is a great film to watch because it's a film that, that its optimism won't... Its optimism will pick you up and it will make you feel something warm inside and you can't help but be 
but catch yourself smiling throughout this film because it's just that type of film. But also it doesn't shy away from the melancholic elements of the realities of life. And it has one of the most poignant final shots that I've ever seen in a film. Um, so I think that'll, that'll leave people, I think, um, with a sense of melancholy, but also optimism. And I think that's what this film is all about, melancholy and optimism. So yeah, thank you again for joining me um, and discussing uh, a spoiler-free little chat about uh, Local Hero. And definitely, uh, if you check it out, uh, let me know what you think of the film. And yeah, thanks guys. And until next time, have a great day.